To Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we are coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hello, Justine. Hi, Natalie. Today we are talking about the books that we've been reading recently, and Woo-hoo! I am so pleased <laughs> to introduce our very special guest today, Emily Bishow. Hi, Emily. Hi. <laughs> Emily has a Master's in Literary Studies and a PhD in Creative Writing, so she can read better than both of us and write better than both of us. So we are very, very thrilled to have you here. <laughs> I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> well, her debut novel, The Strays, is so brilliant and deservedly won the Stella Prize in 2015. We are such fans of the Stella Prize. We and are congratulations. Such fans. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Before we get started, we want to remind you that we'd love to hear what you've been reading. So do please tweet us at Melb Library. That's at M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y with the hashtag Dear Reader. And you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. All the books we mention on the show today will be listed in our show notes and those are on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. All right, now we're going to talk about books, which is not unusual. Not unusual in the slightest, Natalie. Justine, you (laughs) are going first today. So today I'm going to be talking about Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal. This novel may be small, but it packs a punch. This is the author's second book. Her first was written in 1999, and it explores the notion that staying true to one person for the rest of your life, getting married, raising children, are all difficult, complex and unknowable endeavours. So we follow the course of a marriage through curious but always shimmering, fragments of clear, stripped back and easy to read prose. Each fragment exists complete unto itself, but also clearly as part of something bigger. The plot is basically this. A writer lives in Brooklyn. A writer lives in Brooklyn and falls in love. A writer in Brooklyn marries and has a child. A married writer in Brooklyn lives and then there are bedbugs. Betrayal happens and life happens. The end. <laughs> um, so, from, I really loved it. The novel moves really quickly. And when I began it, I actually immediately picked up the phone and called a friend who I thought would love this book. She's a new mum and short, intriguing and beautifully written is right up her alley. But then I read the rest of the book and I had to call her back and say, um... I didn't think of you when I read this because of the content. Your marriage is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Of course, right? Um, And she's like, oh, no worries, don't worry about it. This Um, is not the future awaiting me. (laughs) I don't think there's any problems, I promise. That's such Um, a tricky thing when recommending books to people because you don't want them to assume that you are placing them inside the book and that the book resonates with their life. It's about the writing. Like I said, short and intriguing and beautiful written is why I thought of <laughs> So back to the book. It's a story about a marriage, obviously, and motherhood, about art and life, and therefore about sacrifice and about loss. The descriptions of being a new mother are incredibly engaging, filled with the energy and tension of a modern woman, giving into that raw urge of motherhood. At first, we're a part of the marriage, but the author subtly moves the point of view until we're suddenly studying the marriage from a distance. Um, and of course, in a marriage, there are downs as well as ups, moments of happiness, periods of indecision, self-doubt and also anger. The narrator offers us a very wry brand of observation and each fact we learn about the wife, as she becomes known, makes her more compelling a character, at least it did to me. 
We only learn about the husband through the lens of the wife's meditations. And this may be a flaw in the story, or it may be the whole point. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I found it a fascinating read, beautifully written, well-paced, regardless of whether we're reading about a colicky baby, a faltering marriage, or stalled ambitions. This novel proves that domestic fiction can be both beautiful and intriguing. So that was Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal. Did you give it 10 million stars? Because I give it 10 million stars. <laughs> I loved that book. I certainly gave it five out of five for me. It was, okay. it, I liked, I just really enjoyed it. It had me from the very beginning. I was intrigued. I liked the tidbits that were thrown in, all these sort of interesting facts that make sense kind of, but they're a bit random, but doesn't matter because the whole book's a bit random. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's so um, thought, I found it really thoughtful as things occurred to the character they were on the page. And the author is a poet. So the, the structure of her writing was so f fragmented, but that I think that was intentional. I, I loved oh, it. Absolutely, it was intentional. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. So yeah. that's uh, that's my first pick. Emily, what's your first book that you've been reading? So um, I am going to talk about an old book to start with, uh, The Golden Notebook by Doris Lessing. So I'm, I'm actually a little bit ashamed to have only just read this feminist classic, which was originally published in 1962. Before I start overflowing with praise, I'll just say from the outset that there are elements of this novel that are quite dated, especially the plot lines about the main protagonist's involvement with the Communist Party in the late 1950s. And these sections, I have to admit, are pretty difficult to wade through now. They just kind of seem quite irrelevant to the contemporary reader. But having said that, there are also elements of this book that remain, I think, genuinely radical and, I have to say, kind of shockingly so. Mm. Um, apparently Lessing started... Um, writing this with the aim of chronicling the experience of being a woman during the particular era when she wrote it. So she wasn't kind of mm. trying to make some sort of feminist point but just wanted to write about what it was like to be a woman at that point in time. Mm. Um, it's about what the main protagonist, Anna Wolfe, calls free women, women who are living independently, unmarried, although both of the two main female characters have previously been married and both are still caring for children. It's set at that moment just before the sexual revolution and it essentially follows Anna over a few years as she struggles to understand herself and her relationships with men and her identity as a woman, a mother, a friend and a writer. It's structured around a series of embedded texts which are Anna's notebooks in which she details all of the different elements of her life and tries to kind of draw them together into a cohesive whole. And what I think is still really radical about this book is the way it puts female subjectivity absolutely front and centre and a kind of female subjectivity that is allowed to be all the things that are usually reserved for male protagonists, I think. She's incredibly intelligent, complex, self-involved and basically her quest is one of self-discovery. This is also a book that unashamedly views the world through a female gaze. Men in the novel are refracted through this female gaze and it really made me realise how few books I've read um, that are, you know, have been written since this this era that actually kind of do this and how few actually allow female protagonists this kind of very detailed, complex interior life and, and you know, how few see this as kind of worthy material for fiction. So I absolutely loved this book, The Golden Notebook by Doris Lessing, and I absolutely recommend it. Fabulous. It I am also ashamed to say I haven't read Doris Lessing. I'm not ashamed <laughs> to say I haven't read Doris Lessing because there's so much I haven't read yet, but I am unashamedly will say that I will read it. Yes, definitely. There's Especially so with much... that wonderful review. But there's yeah, so much so to bad. catch up on. There's so I know. 
There are so many books. And they're written well before we were born, obviously. And they're just <laughs> coming out all the time as well. Yeah. So if you kind of just try and keep up with what's coming out, you lose all of the stuff that's already been written and then if you go back, you miss what's coming out. Yeah. It's impossible. I'm, it's a wonderful time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very positive spin on it. So Natalie, it's your go. What are you reading now? Well, I finished a book that I would also give 10 million stars to. It's called Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. It's, Loved it. Yes, Emily? I did, yeah. I really liked it. I, I might have some qualifications, but we can keep that for after your glowing <laughs> <All right>. review. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I found the book a real wonder to read. It came out last year, 2015. I was captivated and enthralled all the way through, entirely engaged. The book tells the story of a marriage that spans 24 years. Part one is called Fates and tells us the whole story from the perspective of the husband, whose name is Lotto. And part two is called Furies and it retells that entire marriage from the perspective of the wife, Matilde. And when I say it like that, it sounds like it's repetitive or that it should have been two separate books or instalments or a series or whatnot, but it's neither any of those things that I mentioned. It's actually a revelation to go back over a story and pick through it again from a completely different perspective. Marriage is complex. Any long-term relationship between two people is complex. There are things that are spoken and things that are unspoken, things that we will willingly share with each other and things that we deliberately don't share. There are the things we assume to be true or assume happened in a particular way or for a particular reason, but there is so much that we do not see or cannot see or aren't supposed to see or actually willfully will not see. There are things that we hide from ourselves, things that we orchestrate to turn out a particular way, but we would never reveal our plotting. Well, this book reveals the plotting to us as the reader, so we see this relationship from both sides. It's a perspective we can never have of our own lives, so it's so brilliant to see it in literature. I suppose that this all makes it sound very sinister and evil that there's behind-the-scenes plotting, but that's not the case at all. I'm talking about basic decisions that any two people will have to make together, so which side of the family we will spend Christmas with? Who will we invite to our parties? Where will we go on a holiday? These these conversations, these discussions, everyone has ulterior motives at play all the time when you make these very basic decisions. And this book examines those conversations from both sides and it's so brilliant. I spent the enti entire second half of the book seeing everything more clearly and then falling in love with the writing. There are these sections... In fact, the entire book has a series of square bracket parentheses that insert thoughts. And the whole first book, I'm thinking, whose thoughts are these? Like, who do these belong to? They contradict the narrative. They contradict the plot. Who is, is this the writer? Is this the one of the other characters that I haven't met yet? Is it a character I have met yet, but they're not presented in this way? Brilliant device. I'm not, I'm not spoiling for you. You have to read it and find out. Um, the book illustrates that there are multiple versions of any event. There's my version of what happened, your version of what happened, and then the actual truth of what happened, and neither of us can see that, and neither of us will experience any event the same. This book is brilliant. It's better than brilliant. That's my Ooh. review. <laughs> it's written so, so well. It is a wonder of literary friction. I, after reading it, was ready to tell everybody about it, and I had a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that was Barack Obama's book of the year. Is that why you read it? And I was like, no, but I have something in common with the President of the United States. Who knew? The dude knows what he's talking about. If you like books about people, marriage or relationships, or if you just like a good book, I would say you need to read this one. Okay, now I'm looking around the room because everyone else in the room has read it and I'm wondering if you would have said the same things about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I guess the one thing that I, on reflection, kind of thought was missing from it was just interactions between the husband and wife. I mean, I think it's very much kind of about 
as you say, the, the perspective of each that can't encompass the other's world. But I, I kind of felt like I didn't know how they spoke to each other. You know, there, there weren't actual conversations between them in the text, you know. Like there, yeah. there weren't that many scenes where they were having a chat about this or that and, and you could kind of get a sense of how they related to each other. It was kind of very much like this is one person's experience and then this is the other person's experience but as the reader, you, you never kind of got, uh, I guess, a sort of external view of their relationship. But, you know, that kind of was the point, I guess. Yeah. I think that there are f- far too many books that are all about conversations between pe- two mm-hmm. people and no real insight into how either of them is approaching that situation. And that's what I thought this book did so well, was just kind of pull out from any of those conversations and show us both perspectives. Yeah. I thought it did that so well. I don't I, think I've read anything like it before. <laughs> I really liked it. I um, I thought that the first half wasn't as good as the second half and I actually put it down and it didn't actually, like, you know how you said you were engaged the whole time? It didn't engage me. I was like, oh, this is good and then mm, this is dragging a bit. I'm going to just put it down. But I knew, having heard about the book already, I knew that I needed to get to that Furies part. So I, I, I picked it back up. I was like, no, okay. Got some time, gonna finish this, and yeah, that first half it was it was interesting, Lotto's perspective, but uh, I just really found it sort of it could have been tighter, I thought. And then the Furies part, then I was ignited. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, whoa! Yep. And also because yes, it does retell that story, but then it goes on mm-hmm. and it tells Matilda's story, and I I loved it. I I thought it was really well done. Like yourself, I like those little devices um, that were sort of dotted throughout. And yeah, I I did not find it repetitive. It was so interesting and uh, very relatable in a lot of ways because you know you do have relationships with people and you do massage egos sometimes and you do tell little white lies sometimes and you, you know, you construct your relationship and, you know, I think that's what we forget sometimes that it's a construct and, mm. and this book sort of drags that up to the surface and shows you that in all its mm. glory. So. <laughs> so good. All right, Justine, we're on to round two. Ding, ding, ding. What is your second book for today? My second book for today uh, is one I just finished recently. It's called Mr Splitfoot by Samantha Hunt. Uh, Radical Spirituality. Bold fraud, sexual exploitation, communes, cults, and con men, say that fast three times, <laughs> are the background to this strange and wonderful story. So the novel opens with the story of Ruth and Nat, two orphans living at the Love of Christ foster home, farm, and mission. Its founder, Father Arthur, only takes the most extreme cases the psychotics, the deformed, the children nobody wants or cares about. He dresses them like 19th century peasants, and I don't know why, because it's not the 19th century, and uses them as free labour while pocketing their benefit checks and preaching a hell and brimstone doctrine of severe deprivation. Ruth and Nat decide to escape when they learn that the father is planning on selling Ruth to a local man to avoid any problems when she's forced to leave the home at 18. So, what do they do but learn to channel the dead with the help of a friendly con man? as you do. And then things take a dark turn. Every other chapter takes place in the present day, narrated by Cora, Ruth's niece, a bored office worker who fritters her life away online. She's carrying on a pretty unsatisfying affair with an ex-marine named Lord and then discovers she's pregnant. Her aunt Ruth appears on her doorstep, unexpectedly mute, which only serves to draw Cora on as Ruth leads her on a mysterious journey, walking across New York State further and further away from the city and into the woods. Cora hopes to discover the mysteries surrounding Ruth and also maybe discover a purpose for herself in life. 
Like the reader, Cora remains largely in the dark about where this is all heading, but we catch spooky echoes from the past. The current day Ruth is clearly terrified of something or someone, and although Cora is scared and unsure why she's even following Ruth or where she's heading, she's also too concerned about Ruth to break away and even comes to enjoy this strange life she's now leading. Ruth's muteness really works for the story because it keeps you guessing. You're never really sure where it's about to go. It's obvious that something traumatic has happened to Ruth, but that's developed concurrently in the storyline following Nat and Ruth, and it's really impressive how the author weaves the two storylines together so smoothly, keeping you interested and invested in the story. I'm actually not telling you a whole lot because I don't want to spoil anything. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it and I want everybody to have that same experience of not really knowing what it was about. There is an undercurrent of creepiness to this book. Mostly it's quirky and weird with a bit of a dreamlike quality and the ending was not what I expected at all but it was really satisfying and um, yeah I just thoroughly enjoyed it so that was Mr Splitfoot by Samantha Hunt. Emily what is your next pick for what we're reading? So the second book I am going to talk about is a new one Everywhere I Look by Helen Garner. Um, I'm actually still in the process of reading this one. Um, so it's not a novel. It's a new collection of occasional writing, I guess you'd call it, which includes essays, journalism and excerpts from Garner's journals. It actually connects quite well with The Golden Notebook, the first book I talked about, in that it's basically tied together through being one woman's view of the world. And it's worth reading because of the fact that this specific woman is highly intelligent, interesting, perceptive and has a way of observing the world that kind of opens our eyes to things that we often miss. Things like the nuances and implications of everyday interactions between people and the deep emotional significance of daily life. As a writer, I particularly love reading Garner's journal excerpts because she just has such a, an incredibly magpie-sharp eye for what I would call the kind of literary moments in life. And I'm going to give you a little example. Um, this is from page 94, a short, just standalone passage. So this is one of the um, sections that have excerpts from her journals. When in the street I see a mother walking with her grown-up daughter, I can hardly bear to witness the mother's pride, the softening of her face, her incredulous joy at being granted her daughter's company, and the iron discipline she imposes on herself to muffle and conceal this joy. And this just kind of rings so true to me, and the book's full of these beautifully observed moments. I'm finding this reading this book really inspiring. As the title suggests, it's all about looking around us, a kind of wake-up call to pay attention to the world. And as a writer, you could read this almost as a kind of training manual on how to become more observant and engaged. And Ghana's also kind of very politically engaged as well, which is really um, adds another kind of dimension to it. And, you know, I guess also how to turn everyday life into art. This is a book I know I'll be able to dip into over and over again when I need to kind of shake the dust from my eyes and be reminded to look and listen and think. Um, Everywhere I Look's also similar to The Golden Notebook in that it shows us the world through a female gaze and this time a contemporary woman and one who's also ageing, which adds another interesting perspective to her observations. The perspective of older women's one that's largely missing from public discourse, I think, and that makes Everywhere I Look even more important. Mm -hmm. So definitely another recommendation from me. Fabulous. I think, I think it's important as young women to be reading from older women's yeah, perspectives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what we're going to grow up and be, and she's such an incredible writer. Yeah. And her observations are brilliant. That yeah. passage about the mother and daughter brought a little tear to the yeah. corner of my eye. Since you think about... I love Helen Garner. Mm -hmm. Her writing is just stunning. And, yeah, the, the, how you were 
describing, you know, these just little moments in time that she observes so cleanly. Yeah. And then she can write that as well. It's just wonderful. It's yeah. Amazing. And you can borrow that particular book from the library, but I would recommend putting a reservation on it because I think it's pretty popular. Yes, <laughs> as it should be. Natalie? Your my, last book for My our second book podcast. and our final book for our episode today is Becoming Corrali Lewis by Jane Harrison. This is a YA novel written in 2015. Jane Harrison is a playwright and I, this is her first novel. Um, it is such a super sweet book and I don't say that in any condescending way because young adult books are um, fierce and they tackle important issues and they show young people how to you know, how to do things, how to think about things. And this is a really important book. It's perfectly PG, however, so it is appropriate for all ages. It is an absolute breeze to read. Um, it's a very straightforward plot. Um, Kira Lee is an Aboriginal girl. She's adopted into a white family at a young age and she grows up in country Victoria. And then in 1985, which is the present day in the book, she moves to Melbourne to attend Melbourne University and study law. Surprisingly, as a young Aboriginal woman, her views are extremely right-winging conservative and she's very small-minded in lots of ways. Um, she's unsure of herself and almost in denial of her own Aboriginal heritage. She's grown up in a white family. She hasn't been exposed to her own culture and she feels quite separate from it and as if it isn't really a part of her. It's during that first year of university and living in the big smoke that she begins to question her identity, wonder about where she belongs and start to explore her family ties. There are some pretty neat twists and turns in the plot and each one leads Kirali a little closer to an answer about who her family is but they also help her dig further inside to understand more about herself and how she makes the choices she makes. Um, a little bit into the book, it starts to flash back to the 60s in parts to tell the story of Corali's birth mother. Um, in trying to escape her conservative parents, she meets Corali's father and gets pregnant quite quickly. And so there's a lot about that story that Corali has no knowledge of. And as, she, as it starts to become exposed to her, uh, it helps her make different decisions about what she wants to do and how she relates to her, her new family, her birth family, who she's never known or met before. Um, these flash flashbacks also give the readers some insight into what Corali doesn't know yet. And I love that. I love that device. And it keeps us hoping that the truth will finally be revealed for her and she can come to terms with, with um, the new information as it comes to light for her. This book really effortlessly deals with identity, family, belonging, big, really, really big issues to tackle, but it's done so well. Um, it gives us a good look at the social and cultural changes that were taking place in Australia too across the sort of 60s, 70s and 80s. Stereotypes that completely upended and mashed up and in some parts of the book they're quite surprising and that was one of my favourite parts of it is that I was not getting what I expected from the book as it progressed. Neither was Corali. So it's a really tall tale but it's told so well. I would highly recommend it. It's Becoming Corali Lewis by Jane Harrison. That sounds so interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, really well done. I'm actually really impressed. I think all of the, the books we talked about today are by women writers, mm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And I loved hearing the thoughts of a writer on <laughs> on a book and how, as a writer, you, you read differently perhaps than yeah, other people. Yeah, I think people. you do, actually. Yeah. And, I mean, I think the way that Helen Garner writes is particularly sort of fascinating for writers because you can see the way that she kind of exists in the world constantly as a writer. Mm. You know, everything she sees kind of goes into her process. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. She's so, very present before the whole kind of notion of being present mm, became a thing, a thing yeah. in our, you know, kind of cultural environment. Yeah. She's always been someone who's been very, her eyes are always wide open mm. to what's going on. She's so observational mm. in her writing it's wonderful. Mm. So, Emily, what are you 
reading now or what are you going to read next? I'm actually reading a book by William Faulkner that I, he's one of my all-time favourite writers, but this one I hadn't read before. It's called Sanctuary. I think mm. it might even have been, I could be wrong about this, but it might be his first novel. I probably am wrong. Anyway, <laughs> it's um, it's pretty amazing and quite dark and traumatic, that sort of southern, um, you know, depressed kind of environment that he's writing about a lot and, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. What about you, Justine? What are you reading? Oh, thank you for asking, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I am currently reading uh, Talking to My Country by Stan Grant. Mm, I which, really want to read that. Oh, it's so good, actually, and I, I, I don't mean to sound surprised. I loved Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my favourite book of last year, and that is a very similar book uh, to what Stan Grant has produced here. Uh, in fact, I think he might have been a little bit inspired by that. Um, so Between the World and Me, about race relations, essentially, in America, um, talking to my country. And I'm still reading it. I'm, I'm over halfway through it. It's not quite as lyrically beautiful in uh, the prose, though there are beautiful aspects to it. Um, this is really lovely. It's well written. It's a good pace to it. And it's very interesting. It's most interesting to me, I guess, because it is about Australia. And it's it's about um, Stan is talking about his experiences um, being uh, part Aboriginal, part white, and you know he can trace his ancestors back to. Ireland and also pre-European settlement in Australia. So it's really fascinating mm. and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I just really, it's, it's a good story as well as being very interesting um, historically. But I also quickly, very, very quickly want to give a shout out to Helen Oyoyemi and Boy Snow Bird, which is was such a great book and I was nearly going to talk about it today except that it, I read it a little bit longer ago than the other two. And it's set in 1953 and explores the main character, Boy Novak's quest for beauty in Massachusetts. Uh, she marries a local widower and becomes stepmother to Snow and eventually mothers a child of her own, whom she names Bird. So basically um, it's it's often referred to as a take on the Snow White fairy tale, but from the point of view of the stepmother. Um, and then a boy, Snow and Bird, become a bit divided as colourism comes into play. Uh, so they're still really curious about one another, but the fact that they're different colours, and I'm not going to tell you who is what, you have to read it, um, actually really separates them as well as sometimes, somehow brings them together. So that's Boy, Snow, Bird by Helen Oyoyemi. Mm, sounds very intriguing. Yes, it is. Natalie, what are you reading next? I'm going to read The Turner House by Angela Flournoy, and I'm so looking forward to it. It's another family saga. Perfect. Perfect for you. Just what I need. <laughs> Just what I need. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much, Emily, for being part of our episode Thank today. You. It's been great fun. Oh, we loved having you. You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we've discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the read page. We would also love you to tell us what you've been reading or ask us for a reading recommendation. We like talking about books. Tweet us at Melbourne Library with the hashtag Dear Reader or join the, join the conversation on Goodreads. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. The groovy music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And until next time, Dear Reader, thanks for listening.